Greetings. This is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LNL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 84. LNL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And toward this end, has two websites the archive website, lnlresearch.org, and a community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LNL Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Austin Bridges, and I, each of us a devoted student to the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of a metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise discernment. Be sensitive to inner resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at lnlresearch.org or go to lnlresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I am Jim McCarty, and we are embarking on a new episode of LNL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. Gary and Austin, are you ready to go? Thanks to some caffeine, I am. <laughs> I am ready. Do we want to give a quick behind-the-scenes update or anything about our absence? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it has been a while since the three of us have been together. Uh, it is because I have been absent and uh, visiting a friend of mine in New Jersey for a number of visits in order to get her ready to move here into the house, LL Research's house, because she has been somewhat um, compromised by disease of a very virulent nature and had not been able to work. It was about ready to lose her house and needed a place to be. She is a dear friend of Carl and mine from back in 1991. So when I discovered she was in need, I decided that I would try my best to help her. So I've been there for a number of times uh, and that has not allowed me to take part in any podcasts. And I think that uh, I am, well, I know that I am very, very glad to be back here now and to be able to take part not only in podcasts, but everything else that LNL Research does. So I hope you will forgive us for our absence, but it was for a good cause. And we hope that uh, you will enjoy this particular program. The topic this week, I must admit, is the uh, a tricky subject, uh, the eternal present that is mentioned a number of times throughout the Raw Contact, and probably you have run across it in other mystical teachings. Uh, we're hoping that together, the three of us, can come up with some ideas that can help us and you cope with this kind of out-of-a-box concept. So I'd like to start with a couple of quotations that um, Ra gave us concerning the eternal present. The first one comes from 1312. And the questioner says, Could you tell me how intelligent infinity became, shall we say, um, well, I'm having difficulty with some of the language here, how intelligent infinity became individualized from itself? I am Ra. This is an appropriate question. The intelligent infinity discerned a concept. This concept was discerned due to freedom of will of awareness. This concept was finity. This was the first and primal paradox or distortion of the law of one. Thus, the one intelligent infinity invested itself in an exploration of manyness. Due to the infinite possibilities of intelligent infinity, there is no ending to manyness. The exploration thus is free to continue infinitely in an eternal present. And the second quotation comes from 16.22 and 23. Question. In previous material, before we communicated with you, it was stated by the Confederation that there is actually no past or future. All is present. Would this be a good analogy? I am wrong. There is past, present, and future in third density. In an overview, such as an entity may have, removed from the space-time continuum. It may be seen that in the cycle of completion, there exists only the present. We ourselves seek to learn this understanding. At the seventh level of or dimension, we shall, if our humble efforts are sufficient, become one with all, thus having no memory, no identity, no past or future, but existing in the all. Question, does this mean that you would have awareness of all that is? I am wrong. This is partially correct. It is our understanding that it would not be our awareness, but simply awareness of the Creator. In the Creator, 
is all that there is. Therefore, this knowledge would be available. So our first question, I would like to ask um, Austin, what is your take on the eternal now? And why is this so hard to comprehend? Or maybe it's not so hard for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, full transparency. During the time I would normally be preparing for this podcast, I was fixing my computer. So <laughs> we have a reason then not to have a great answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't have any. We have, we've been working on this. Yeah, what's, what's your excuse? Uh, so uh, I'll be relying on you guys uh, and probably building more off of your answers than normal. But my understanding of the eternal now um, is beyond words. So <laughs> I can't really out. Uh, describe. Uh, I, my understanding is that time is an illusion. It's one of the constructs of the creator that was put into place for us to experience and for the creator to know itself. And so when we talk about the eternal now, it is a concept that goes beyond the illusion that we are currently experiencing. And... I think that illusion is necessary and part of the integral nature of the creator knowing itself. But the eternal now is the true nature of the creator. And that through our experience of time, we come to dispel that illusion more and more until we realize our own true natures as the creator and then the illusion of time sort of falls away and we start to realize that the linear nature of our experience has all been just part of this uh, this game that the creator has been playing with itself. The, that kind of sounds meaningless to me, but that's about, that sums up my idea. I think there's a concept in the Orient of Maya, M-A-Y-A, the game, mm -hmm. the play, the, yeah. the, uh, the dance. I guess Rob refers to it frequently as the dance. Yeah. In fact, in session one, they start off by saying, uh, you are in a ballroom, you're dancing in a ballroom of thought. There is no material. You're simply dancing there. So I, I guess we were talking something about that way of looking at things without time. <laughs> Yeah, and interestingly, dance relies pretty heavily on the concept of time. It's very rhythmically based. Right. Okay, Gary, how about you? Uh, what's your concept of this eternal present that we are supposedly existing in right now, as well as the past, present, and future? Uh, I hear people talk about it, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, I fortunately did get to thinking about this an hour before the program. If I had to reply on the spot, I'd be hosed and be stumbling through a reply. But regarding what my take on the eternal now is, I'll try to tackle that when you ask your subsequent question. I will, however, focus on why is it so hard to comprehend and say that um, I think part of the reason for that is that our minds are wired for space and time. Uh, and they are made of space and time. We are illusions interfacing with illusions. And I don't mean that we are just limited by these illusion machines we call the mind complex, but that our identities themselves are inextricably bound in time. Uh, who would we be without time, without memory, without biography? Uh, consider what Ra said in the quote that you read, <clears throat> uh, quote, at the seventh level or dimension, we shall, if our humble efforts are sufficient, become one with all, thus having no memory, no identity, no past or future, but existing in the all. Um, thus, it's so hard to comprehend because eternity not only transcends every faculty of our minds and bodies and time-bound identity, but because eternity undoes all those concepts too. So I, I don't... Who knows how to describe how the incarnate entity approaches eternity? Uh, one can say the self contemplates it. Contemplation, though, can imply a mental process. I think it's it's only where the mind learns to release its activity and, and sink into 
stillness and silence and awareness that eternity makes itself known to that still and silent mind. But yeah, that's my take so far. Okay, well, you know, I like what you said about we're wired for time and space. Mm. And I think that one of the things that uh, I remember from what Ross said, the ape was chosen as the second density form to invest. And the grasping thumb uh, made it more likely that the ape creature and we as descendants of the ape would not be able to be telepathic, for example. We would have to rely on our spoken words and speech. Mm. So it seems like our incarnations here are meant to remove a good deal of the nature of real reality from us so that we aren't able to, well, you know, like before the veil, uh, everyone knew they were the creator. Everyone knew everybody was the creator. And so there's very little reason to change that blissful situation. And uh, that meant polarization happened much slower. So things like the veil, uh, the grasping thumb, these do seem to wire us for a different type of perception that seems to help us in a polarization process, although it removes a lot of the real nature of reality from our ability to perceive it. So almost by taking away the opportunity to perceive things as they are, we grow in the ability to polarize, which is, I wonder if that's part of the paradox that Rob was talking about here, you know, the primal paradox the creator knowing itself. If the creator is all that there is, shouldn't the creator know itself? <laughs> and if it wishes to know itself even more, then it has to create these illusions. And through the illusions of the realities, the densities, the octave, and especially the third density illusion where we make a choice, then it has many more chances to know itself because we make choices that we wouldn't make if we didn't, you know, if we had no veil, then we would be no, no uh, reason to do anything other than be the creator. So my personal take on this is, uh, like you said, uh, it's as, as strange as saying, well, there is no sun. There would be no sun in your sky. There'd be no moon. There'd be no day. There'd be no night. Mm. All would be, I don't know what, all light or all dark or all half and half. Or uh, That, to me, is sort of the same thing as saying, well, there's not really a past, a present, and a future. There's just the eternal now. And what you're existing in is a, uh, a, f a figment of your imagination and uh, maybe a figment of the creator's imagination. I'm not sure about that. But I think that it's all for a reason and that the fact that we do not understand a whole lot, well, Raj said this is not the density of understanding, so <laughs> we can't feel too bad about not grokking what's going on here <laughs> with the eternal present because it's not, not supposed to be able to be done by us. So um, the eternal present then, I think... Uh, is something that is intriguing. And I think that it uh, helps, when you begin to contemplate it and think about it, it helps to draw us on in our own thinking. And uh, so I'd like to get on to the second question here. Um, if it is really true that everything is happening simultaneously, does that mean there can be no such thing as causality? Uh, if one event or choice does not cause a subsequent event or choice, then is there really free will? Austin, any thoughts there? <laughs> it's a really uncomfortable thing to think about, but that is the implication, it seems like, in my mind. The, just to sort of incorporate what we were talking about back into this, there is um, science is also along these lines as well. They agree with the concept of there not being any such thing as the flow of time, at least there's a general acceptance. I think it's Einstein's theory of relativity that talks about time as a dimension similar to space and that all these dimensions exist at the same time, at the same moment. There is no changing these dimensions. It's only that time as a dimension is the one that we experience as a sort of stuck singular flow. And so in that scientific idea that all the dimensions, including time, are existing at the same time, then there really isn't causality because nothing is actually happening. Time as a dimension, if you think about it similar to space, like all of space, as we can conceive of it, ha is existing right now. 
If you go in infinite direction in any direction, you'll find all the space that exists and it's all existing at this moment. And the idea, I think, of, from my understanding, the idea of relativity and the general concept of time as a part of space is that it's the same thing for time. It's not separate from space, that it's all also existing simultaneously. It's just that for some reason, we have brains that experience it differently. And so causality, again, is an illusion based off of that. It's a construct that we have devised to try to understand what's happening around us, but um, it's not actually happening. I've heard the um, analogy uh, of the DVD before, where um, what we experience in space is similar to like the movie that's actually on the DVD, but reality is more like the actual DVD itself. It is there and it doesn't change. The movie on the DVD is permanently there, but our experience of the DVD is watching it beginning to end. And in that sense, it seems like there's causality. There's an internal logic to time, but it actually doesn't exist. So I would actually say that um, free will in our understanding, as we experience it, might actually be an illusion. <laughs> yeah, I guess that uh, ultimately all of it is an illusion, but mm -hmm. I think it's an illusion. I'm pretty sure there's an illusion with a purpose. You know, the purpose in my mind is to grow in a spiritual sense and to discover more and more of the creator within ourselves, within every other self, and within the entire creation around us. Even though we work in the milieu of an illusion, uh, the illusion can give us uh, inspiration to attempt to penetrate the illusion, to find more than the illusion, to discover that uh, some of these things that we subconsciously are aware of, you know, on the other side of our veil of forgetting, we have that knowledge of unity with the creator and the knowledge that this is a creation of love that has been made out of light and that we are all one. Uh, I think those things really draw us on. And, you know, in some fashion, I guess you could say, well, those are just a finer illusion because they are seeming separations of the creator. The first distortion of free will has caused us all to move out into our own um, times, our places, our incarnations and our choices. So maybe it's not a bad thing that it's an illusion. Maybe we have too much of a, maybe it's a, a term that we interpret too negatively and illusion might be a, a vehicle towards realization. Uh, and to help us feel more of the uh, subconscious knowing that we have, that thing that seems to penetrate through the veil and to draw us forward to discover more of the nature of reality, however much or less of an illusion it may be. Anyway, Gary, how about you? What do you think about all that? <laughs> You're nodding your head yes. <laughs> as our, as, very zen. <laughs> as often happens, it's, uh, I feel like I have a variation on a theme that we're, we're all sharing. <clears throat> Um, and you guys both hit on it. Austin used the word actual in a few times. What is actually happening? And that adjective or that adverb along with others is kind of where I want to start because I see that this question is ultimately a question of what really exists, what is real, what is ultimate, what is actual. Um, and so from the standpoint of infinity and the cosmology of the law of one Ra, you can say that separation, manyness, finity, time, space, and free will are not ultimately real. They are concepts and dreams of infinity. And, you know, even Ra said that infinity discerned a concept, and that concept was freedom of will, of awareness. But I run into maybe a linguistic semantic difficulty or an actual um, philosophical difficulty, but I run into the difficulty that to say that those experiences or realities are not an infinity is, is to introduce boundaries and categories within infinity as if there is somewhere where infinity is not. And from where infinity is not, we must get to where infinity is. I think that's why we're stuck with the word illusion. It's not that infinity somehow created things which are outside of infinity, 
or are not infinity or are other than infinity. Rather, infinity created the illusion that there could be something such as free will, separation, manyness, illusion. Um, to me, this seems a situation of optics in that the illusion obscures the actual situation, which is that this moment is eternal and that all things are infinite and that all there ever is is infinity. But as this understanding, so to speak, is contemplated from our standpoint, from the human standpoint of third density, what becomes of our universe? Um, how do we treat free will and causality if, as you're asking, if they're but illusions? Uh, and this is where I differ from the CO, I mean, uh, from the question, and I'll attempt an explanation. So, a little bit more, bear with me. Even though our experience takes place within an illusion or a dream, it still has rules and processes and procedures and sequence and architecture. Uh, by the consciousness of the creator, the Logos, uh, a system was conceived and designed intelligently. And those rules and procedures include infinite possibility, transformation, creativity, spontaneity, confusion, rejecting the system, ignoring the system, and the possibility of transcending the system altogether. But it is still a system. Uh, so I don't see that we can just wipe away causality because, quote unquote, there is only ever the present moment. Uh, rather, I think it's more salient to acknowledge that within the system of octaves, there is sequential development. There is sequence, not just in the heavily time-bound uh, realm of third density, but from density to density and octave to octave. Um, Ra even describes how the learning of the previous octave carries over into this octave. Uh, they said that male and female mind, body, spirits were discovered <laughs> in the previous octave, just as the learning in this octave will carry over to the next. Even the original thought, Ra says, learns and grows through the illusions of time and sequence and evolutionary development. And, and in that sequence, there are decisions and choices and lessons and experience that, as the word sequence implies, <laughs> involve um, the next step in the sequence um, being changed by or resulting from the previous decision or choice that was made. And paradoxically, that seeming sequence all unfolds in the ever-present spotlight of the present moment, whether something takes place a million octaves from now or a million octaves previous to this space-time. So you can say that there is no causality, or you can say that causality transpires within an illusory system. I think they're both right and both wrong. And like, like Ross says, there is no right or wrong. Um, I think, however, that to refuse to work with concepts of causality because there is only ever the present moment could potentially be a form of spiritual bypass bypassing. Okay, good, good point. Good point. I like what you said there. Um, it kind of reminds me some of what Don was talking about as he was just trying to describe to Ra the way he saw the universe being created, that it was expanding outward everywhere at a uniform rate, uh, basically, I guess, the speed of light or whatever. And that I'm imagining in my mind that all of the experience that we have ever had, anybody has ever had, is doing something like that, that there is an expansion of experience that in some way is perceived at a certain time as sequential third density for sure, but can also be seen as being happening simultaneously, that there is everything going on right now that has ever gone on or will ever go on, <laughs> which is where my mind starts to, you know, my eyes cross and I start thinking, you know, I, I, my mind is practical. And I think you, this is part of what you were saying earlier about the mind isn't wired for this. Uh, I try to figure out practically, well, how do I function in that kind of world? And then uh, how have I been functioning here? And how much of my functioning here uh, is partaking of that? And if it's not, 
why? Uh, <laughs> can I understand? You know, um, I've said a number of times in my blog when I come to a question like this in the Camelot Journal, I'm talking about some question that I really would be unhappy if I were able to understand all this stuff. Hmm. You know, if my mind was able to comprehend something like this, then there would not be enough mystery in the universe. So I'm very happy because I do not comprehend most of what's going on in uh, the nature of true reality, uh, being simultaneous, being an, an, an eternal present moment. Um, I would like to just query you each. Have either of you had any kind of an experience to, that to you pointed to an eternal present that took you out of time, took you out of the normal past, present, and future, maybe in meditation or in dreams or just some aha moment? Austin, have you ever had anything like that? Uh, yeah, I have. It, not common. I can't get there at will. I've had um, meditative experiences that have spoken to that where the illusions of both space and time have seemed to simply dissolve and the moment was completely full of everything. Um, I've also heard, I think Joseph Campbell talks about eternity in the sense of, um, I think what he calls peak experiences, where mm. uh, in contrast to stillness and meditation, you are actually in the groove of something that is fulfilling sort of your highest purpose, or even just something that you know is perfect and where you're supposed to be at that moment in time. I, he used the example of sports players who, uh, and I think he was using a personal example of himself. He was running a track race and he said he knew before the race started that he was going to win and that as he was running, it was just an eternal moment mm. that in that experience of being exactly where he was, that he there was nothing else besides that race and that race was full of the universe itself. And that I might be butchering this. It was in the power of myth that I recall. Um, but that that is similar to the experience of the eternal now is where you, everything is just so perfectly coming together that you kind of, the illusions don't hold any sway in your experience. You're just seeing the universe in that present moment as it is. And the causality of the situation is inconsequential to what you're experiencing. So I've had moments like that as well, particularly in um, playing music, especially oh. music with uh, groups of people where you're grooving and you are clicking so well that the world melts and the only thing that really exists is the note that you're playing at that very moment. All right. Yeah, that's a good analogy. How about you, Gary? Anything uh, that you can remember or feel about your personal experience that was alluding to the ever-present? Indeed. Now? And I want to riff for a moment off of what Austin said and say that um, that eternity, I think, is better conceived by our minds, not as uh, like an infinitely long time, but as something that is timeless, is outside of time, that has no time. Um, and I th think that in that light also, well, let me say, Rod describes the actual picture using adjectives like perfect, whole, and complete. And I think an experience of eternity, and I'll, I'll talk about my own in a moment, would have those qualities, a sense of, like Austin was describing of Joseph Campbell's, um, a sense of the completeness of all things, meaning that there's nothing lacking, there's nothing insufficient, or the wholeness of all things, meaning that there's nothing that's fragmented um, or missing, and the perfection of all things, meaning that there's nothing that's imperfect or to, or where the creator is not or ugly or so on and so forth, you know. So um, that said, I had one particular peak experience 
which who knows if I touched eternity or not. But uh, Trish and I, uh, my wife, got a hold of MDMA <laughs> and we had uh, sexual energy transfer, as Rob would describe. And we were together for uh, like a day. It was a weekend and um, in our apartment and it, we lost. I've never been so uh, adrift from time itself. Mm. Not just clock time, but psychological time too. We, and Trish felt it as well. We were outside of time. It was just bliss. We had no sense of, had a short time elapsed, had a long time elapsed. It was just, it felt timeless. Um, I'm sure it has, I don't know how authentic it would be to genuine like violet ray opening or access to intelligent infinity through the gateway, but it was beautiful and blissful. And it was freeing too. Time is, uh, is burdensome and is hard. Yeah, it's a tough taskmaster. Yeah. <laughs> we seem in this illusion to have ourselves so focused around time and accomplishing things that uh, we push ourselves uh, past uh, reasonable limits and as a result, have all kinds of stress-related illnesses and conditions that we have to deal with because we feel that this uh, particular illusion that we're inhabiting is important, that the things of the world that we have to gather, be they um, money or education or some sort of home that for our families to live in or accoutrements that they might want to use, uh, cars and uh, things, uh, we are after things. So once we can find some measure of peace in and like you were saying in an altered experience then we become aware that there is much more to this illusion than we are currently experiencing and that becomes something that we can think about and i think that that's what this concept of the eternal present is doing for me is trying to uh, figure out if there's some way that i can apply it in my present existence and uh years ago uh, i guess uh, Carl and I were coming back from a trip to Nebraska to visit my mom, and I was driving along the highway, and I thought to myself, all the work I had to do when I got home, you know, this was a nice vacation, but now it was coming to an end. And once I got back, I had a whole list of things to do. And I thought to myself, oh, what am I going to do? How am I ever going to get all that done? And all of a sudden, I got a, a little message came in my mind, and uh, I'm not sure where it was from, if it's from Ra or from my guide or from some beneficent source that happened to be listening in, I said, relax and enjoy. And I thought, well, that's counterintuitive. <laughs> you know? How am I going to get anything done if I relax and enjoy? But it, And that has been my, uh, my goal uh, ever since then, is to uh, try to have that attitude of relaxing and enjoying as I attempt to do whatever it is I have to do. And as far as um, personal experiences, uh, I guess I've had a few dream experiences and some of the uh, frontal lobes experiences I had years ago that kind of made time stand still. And I could look at the moment and see that uh, it was complete in itself. And I really enjoyed that. Um, one thing I wanted to refer to here was, if you remember when Don and Carla were writing The Crucifixion of Esmeralda Sweetwater, uh, Rob mentioned how they were able to see the movie developing in front of them, that Carla was able to see the... Uh, the, the characters, and Don was able to write the interaction between the characters, and they could visualize it. It was like they were watching a, a motion picture. And it became, uh, in the present moment, they began to see things from what came to be the future that uh, would eventually come true. And I think for them at that time that they were in something akin to the present moment, the eternal moment, that um, brought them information that was probably occurring uh, at that time in another reality that they would eventually move into, I guess is one way of looking at it. So my next question has to do with when will we ever fully experience the eternal present? Will we have to become the creator to know ourselves, to accept ourselves, and then become the creator to experience the eternal presence? Austin? Rula Ra says that even they don't have that. They are in the density of the law of one, seeking the law of foreverness. And um, maybe I printed out the quote 
I might have to paraphrase if I didn't. Uh, short answer being, I think in seventh density, his <laughs> one won't get to experience that. It sounds like uh, to me that's Ra's understanding. Um, uh, Jim read sixteen twenty two where they say, "We ourselves seek to learn this understanding." Is that what you're thinking? Um, no, it's the one that ends with yeah. "Still we are, still we are Ra," and so our path continues, or something like that. Going to be too hard to find, but essentially. To paraphrase, Ra's talking about still seeking um, on their own, that they themselves are seeking the law of foreverness. And once they get there, they'll experience that eternal no past, no present. Um, but they are still Ra, and so they are still seeking. So even in sixth density, I guess late sixth density is where Ra is, there is still a seeking of that eternal moment. And who knows what seventh density even means if that's where you experience that eternal moment and the uh, true identity with the creator because that seventh density still has to progress then into the next octave. So it's um, beyond our feeble third density minds, <laughs> even with the material we're equipped with, the raw material, I don't think we can even conceive of it. Yeah, I guess it's at that point that the um, it's a mind spirit complex because the body's no longer needed there that gives its in total realm or an experience of um, all the octaves experience to the higher self and the higher self has that available to the mind body spirit complex and then Ra said and these three beings are all points in a circle they are the same being so again there's another type of an illustration of how uh, this uh, experience that we seem to have as a linear experience is really uh, circular. When Don asked Ra to give an example of how they had progressed as a social member complex through the densities, they they said our experience is uh, in the grave, graven in the present moment, and they simply listed the densities you go through. They didn't say how <laughs> they went through them, the catalysts they experienced, or anything special about them. They just said this is all happening, you know, in the present moment. So again, you know, that is um, you know, a, a mind blower for me. Um, what do you think, Gary? Do we have to become the creator before we can ever perceive this? Or can we, uh, have we got a chance of perceiving it beforehand? Or is this going to be a mystery uh, all throughout our octave experience? Funny, you asked a question about eternity in, from the context of time. You said, when? <laughs> when will we experience eternity? Yeah, right. I can't get out of it. <laughs> Yeah. How, are, how are we experiencing uh, eternity? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're told that we are. Like, that's the paradox of it. We're never not experiencing eternity. One way I've seen it described, I think Ken Wilber was the one I saw who said it, that um, infinity or eternity or spirit is just is, it escapes our notice because it's too simple, not because it's... Uh, it's so fundamental. It's so basic, you know, like the fish that doesn't understand it's in water because water is everywhere. Water is all that it knows. Like you can't, it's hard to point out to the fish, the water. It's just like, it's hard to point to us. Um, eternity when our minds are so caught up in time. But the, the when question, if it makes any sense to try to if you qualify it by saying, when do we fully experience it? When do we consciously know it? Um, I think it, it is in our octave. It, is, it begins to become available to the third density entity. Um, Ra describes even that while the activation while in yellow ray of violet ray intelligent infinity is a passport to the next octave of experience. Um, and they say the entity who penetrates intelligent infinity is basically capable of walking the universe with unfettered tread. So is such a one, uh, like certainly that being is experiencing eternity, but is such a one free of causality? Uh, ironically, the act of even, even that, what Ra describes there, um, is an act of achieving that act of achieving maximum enlightenment 
and gaining the figurative passport to the next octave seems a description of sequence or causality. Uh, the entity has done something or undone something and the, which led to the next step on their journey. So anyway, to answer your question, when the third density entity is capable of it, uh, but I think that all the manifest beings that populate any given octave um, presuming that they, at least in concept, uh, become separated from the experience of eternity, they will return, so to speak, to eternity at the close of the octave. Ra likens the octaves or universe is to the beating of our heart. The octave births, I think science understands it as our big bang, at least the manifest portion of our octave visible to our third density eyes um, and instruments. The octave is beats outward like a heartbeat and it uh, creates and the entities that populate it journey forth and they move through a cycle of attempting to come back to the logos and to the creator. Thus the outward beating heart beats inward and Rod as they're describing of themselves, Ra says that we'll have no memory, no identity, no history. There's some kind of release of the personal journey or the social memory complex journey and the reabsorption into infinity of that which was gained and learned and experienced by the seeming separate parts and an entrance into what Ra describes as an unimaginable state of timelessness, like time. It doesn't make any sense even to talk about time because it's so unimaginable. So in in between the beats of the heart, I guess, as the octave returns to the, the logos, that is an experience of eternity. Also, and finally, um, it's said that in our deepest sleep state, which appears in our brain waves as the delta waves, that we return to that space mm -hmm. where there's only naked awareness. There's no qualities or forms or even personal history or a concept of a of an individual self other than allness or selfness or awareness and enlightened beings can become conscious in that state but i think we return to eternity so to speak every night when we go to sleep i like that idea i like that <laughs> idea a lot <laughs> and it feels right too and you know it's uh, kind of like getting a letter from home or some nourishment to take you into the conscious state again so that you can have energy to get through the difficult path that usually is here because we chose this path to become able to polarize, to find the creator in ourselves and in others. So it makes sense that we'd be able to go back to that uh, center of eternity in our sleep. I think also, it, this is just my opinion, that uh, various types of mystical journeys that uh, you know we know throughout history, there are people who have traveled that path and have become enlightened. Uh, nirvana, Satori, Kensho, Samadhi, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think that each entity that has that type of an experience, sort of as a sidelight of it, uh, and maybe the uh, environment of it, is that eternal present moment that they discover that uh, they are the creator, the creator is within everybody and everything, and that that present moment is where we all are uh, existing in our truest reality. So uh, in a sense, I think that uh, in some fashion or at, at some time, we do need to make that contact with the creator within us so that we do return to our true home, which is that present moment. Any final thoughts on this? I think we've, I don't know if we've exhausted the topic, but I think we might have exhausted, or I have exhausted my abilities to talk about it. Anybody have any final thoughts? I've collected some thoughts okay. as we go on that I haven't interjected. All right. Um, first, I have the quote from Joseph Campbell that matches what Gary was saying very, very well. Um, or a quote from Joseph Campbell about this. He says, eternity isn't some later time. Eternity isn't even a long time. Eternity has nothing to do with time. Eternity is that dimension of here and now that all thinking in temporal terms cuts off. The experience of eternity right here and now in all things, whether thought of as good or as evil, is the function of life. 
Yeah, I like that. Um, and uh, Gary was also earlier talking about spiritual bypassing and how just trying to cut out causality as a relevant thing can potentially be, and I don't know if harmful is the right word, um, probably silly is <laughs> maybe more the right word. I, I do like that. I think that there are philosophers who can talk about this much better than we can. I think there's probably even a field of philosophy that has to do with this. But in my mind, it's just the question of what's even relevant to talk about, what's relevant <laughs> to uh, say and to consider things in. Like an example that comes to mind is the idea that if something is a certain color, it's technically every color but that color because it's reflecting back that color that you perceive. So if something is red, it's technically its innate properties itself is every color but red. But when we discover that fact, do we change the way we talk about red? Do we say that thing over there that's every color but red? Or do we just say it's red? <laughs> uh, like what is relevant? Is it the fact that it's the innate property of the thing that's red? Or is our experience of it what is relevant? Hmm. So um, I think it's a similar sort of field of philosophy that probably exists. And there's probably many books that have been written on it the, by people who are way smarter than we are. But I think it's a, an issue of relevance. And to simply say that, uh, well, causality doesn't exist. Free will is an illusion, time's an illusion. So why even talk about it is just an irrelevant way to approach life. It's a, a real thing to talk about and consider. And I think it aids our spiritual growth. But to cut off any notion of free will or causality because they're supposedly illusions, it's uh, silly, I think. And my final thought is that I think a really good analogy, a good tool when considering this kind of thing is a f the idea of a fractal, where if what we are experiencing seems like movement, uh, but everything is existing at the same time. I think it is similar to looking at a fractal. Like if you see a fractal, you um, supposedly can't actually see the entirety of a fractal because it goes on to infinity, <laughs> but it looks like a still image that contains the entirety of the fractal. But if you start zooming in, there is movement that it starts unfolding and starts uh, revealing itself to you more and more. And the deeper you go down, the more it reveals, but it's still always the same. You still see the entirety of the fractal in each m moment that you're viewing the fractal. It's always the same, but the movement does create this illusion that you're looking at different things mm -hmm. as you move through the fractal. So fractals are a, a good tool when trying to consider this weird paradox of eternity. Yeah. So that Great. was my final thought. Very good. Thank you, Austin. Gary, how about you for a final thought? Yeah, about 1.5 final thoughts. And the <laughs> 0.5 is just quickly to bounce off of the fractal notion and say that I don't think we really tried to tackle simultaneity in this podcast. But if we did uh, undertake that folly, I think uh, fractals would be one of the uh, most illuminating tools to even attempt grasping that. And then my uh, fuller final thought is just to highlight the poignancy of that return to eternity every night. I think you use the word home, Jim, and I think it is. It's a return home nightly. In the in the theta um, stage of sleep, I think it's theta, we experience the dream state, which is our subconscious communicating to our conscious through symbolic play, and that is needed for a variety of reasons. Um, but we need every night to go even deeper into Delta. And I think that's what Ra describes as being necessary in healing. I, uh, that is, okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I was conflating that. It's, it's, um, we need to go home every night. And I wonder if in higher densities, they need the sleep cycles that we do, or if it's just that the third density illusion is so thick and so hard on the entity that they need that restoration and rejuvenation, even if they're not consciously 
uh, aware of it. They need to reboot, so to speak. And it connects to the notion too that Ra says that each diurnal cycle, each day, is can be seen as a, a death and rebirth. So maybe when we go back at nighttime too, it's a sort of uh, death. We reintegrate into infinity once more, and then we reboot ourselves come morning and re reload that personal memory and so forth. But that's all for me. Yeah, I like that point too. Thank you so much. Well, I want to thank you both for your uh, contributions. I think you helped me to understand more about what I do not understand of the <laughs> eternal present. And I hope that we were able to help our readers as well. I'll finish with a final quote from Ra from 28.1, where they say, the one undifferentiated, intelligent infinity, unpolarized, full and whole, is the macrocosm of the mystery-clad being. We are messengers of the law of one. Unity at this approximation of understanding cannot be specified by any physics, but only be activated or potentiated intelligent infinity due to the catalyst of free will. This may be difficult to accept. However, the understandings we have to share begin and end in mystery. You've been listening to LNL Research's bi-weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, lrresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions. If you'd like to hear us ramble on about any particular topic, please read the instructions on our page at lrresearch.org forward slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every other Wednesday afternoon. We send you all of our love and light and good wishes for you on your spiritual path. Let us know how you're doing. We're all working together to bring each other home. Have a couple of wonderful weeks. We'll talk with you again.